0: Hello and welcome to episode 100, the century mark of uh, the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And uh, wow, it brings me a great, great pleasure to have on uh, my personal hero of the game. Um, started, well, I got to know uh, this guy way back uh, as a junior because he grew up in my neck of the woods. Uh, Jonathan Power uh, is our guest today. And uh, oh, it was uh he does not disappoint in, in this one. Um, started, uh, got to know him back in the mid-80s when he was just a young pup. Uh, he started his squash in Prince Edward Island. Uh, we go through all of that. Uh, of course, I wanted to bring that up being uh, the connection that I have with him. And uh, we'd always cross paths over the years as, as he was a junior at the, at the uh, national events and all the way up until basically when I left uh canada the last time uh, i saw him which is at the uh, was at the quebec open where he uh he played uh, jamie crombie in the final of that event and uh, we revisit that one as well but uh really uh jonathan uh at that time obviously had great talent but uh his true talent the uh, the world champion uh one of the greatest shot makers to ever uh step foot on the court uh he uh he came into his own in about the mid-90s and uh it was that uh, at that time when i started to really uh i mean i started to follow his game follow sort of the pro game there was a revival there uh with uh, with jonathan and his rivalry rivalry with uh with peter nickel and that became something that i got fully uh immersed in as did uh, most of the squash uh, world uh we bring we talk about that rivalry on the podcast today and what it meant to him and how intense uh it really was back at that time, and uh, and uh, how things developed over, over the years there. And um, we also talk about his early days. You know uh, how his approach and his father uh, John Power, who uh, together they set forth uh, a plan to become uh, world champion and uh, that came uh, uh, to fruition for them in 1998 and the path that they carved out uh, was not a conventional one particularly for a Canadian uh, junior squash player without uh, perhaps all the resources that one might have say in Europe or Pakistan at the time and uh john his father wanted to provide those resources to uh jonathan and uh they left no uh, corner unturned and jonathan and i uh, talk in depth about uh both the approach that uh that his father and himself took and uh, some interesting anecdotes there uh we get of of course get into uh his rivalry with with Peter that that emerged in the mid 90s uh some interesting stuff about his uh the time he spent the special uh, time he spent on court uh, competing against uh, Jan Khan, uh, the genius of Jancher as Jonathan uh, puts it himself and what he learned from from those meetings where he uh, he lost a few but also won a few especially there, uh, there in Hong Kong a big win uh, for him there uh, happy hunting grounds for him at the Tournament of Champions, uh, where he won his first major event in 1996. Uh, and we talk about uh, how that breakthrough event uh, led to bigger and better things for him. Uh, so much uh, uh, here to talk about. I mean, I could go on and on. It is an epic episode, and I know you're you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, episode 100, Jonathan Power. Uh, everybody, uh, this is episode uh, 100 of uh, the In Squash podcast, and uh, very, very fortunate and delighted to have on uh, Canadian legend, uh, former World number 1 uh, World Open, British Open champion, Commonwealth gold medalist, eight-time Canadian national champion, uh, a hero of the game for me and for many others, Jonathan Power is my guest. Jonathan, great to, uh, great to have you on, and thanks so much.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah we were just talking a few seconds ago. Uh, I mean, I, I've known you... Uh, I knew you back in the junior your junior days, and uh, uh, the last time we saw one another was not 2002, but uh, 1992, back at the Quebec Open where you played. Uh, I think it was Jamie Crombie in the final of that event, and and uh, you know you were quite close with us from the Maritimes. I think we hung out a bit uh, that weekend. I have fond memories of it. Uh, do you remember that one?
1: Uh, vaguely vaguely I, I, I think i remember the party afterwards i don't know about much about the squash it's
0: a long time ago yeah no i remember the party before uh, maybe the, before it sounds
1: maybe more appropriate yeah.
0: no i do That means i
1: must have lost
0: uh you you, you lost but uh, uh it was five games and uh, incredible uh, uh how you even managed to uh to, to do that despite the, despite the, uh, the partying beforehand, but,
1: uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, it tended to happen back in 1992. I was a teenager, so yeah, Made those teenage were, decisions back then.
0: Those were good days. <laughs> I remember that. And, uh, I mean, you were, I, I think I remember the event. Well, it was a, after the event, we kind of hung out a bit as well, but, uh, we'll talk a bit about that uh, later on. Uh, Jonathan, you've been working with, uh, Diego, I think recently, uh, he's in the, he's at the Pan Am games right now. Uh, I think he's in the middle of his, uh, singles, uh, uh in the middle of the singles. Ball. So these days you've been uh, working with him. How have things been going, uh, with Diego in the lead up, uh, to this event, uh, when you were working with him?
1: Yeah, no, it was good. I was just down in, uh, Peru last week and we were training for, uh, for a week and it seems to be uh most of the squash that i'm doing these days is with him so uh yeah i think he's he's doing great you know he's going to make a big uh big push this year to get a little bit stronger and fitter and uh hopefully things go as expected today uh but it's pretty typical two matches in one day but i think uh, he'll be okay and uh, get through that so but uh yeah, more focused on getting getting up the rankings to that number one spot. So he he needs a little bit a uh, little bit more strength, and I think he's prepared to put in the work. So he he will undoubtedly, in my mind, get there.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, he I mean he's such a great player to watch, and in in a lot of ways, uh, like you, he brings a uh, you know a, something to watch when you go to watch him play. He's got great ball control, great movement around the court. Um, do you see uh, any uh, similarities between your game and his game in, in any way back, back in the, back in the day? Uh.
1: Um, not really. There's certain, uh, certain strokes and shots that he's able to implement. I mean, the, the, the things that I can teach him in five minutes, which would take me two years to teach another pro is, is kind of satisfying. It's almost like he's uh, like, I'm, I'm holding the racket when I tell him to do these little details and, uh, you know, grip pressure and racket head speed and different things. He can just implement it so fast and, uh, and gets it. I mean, he has his own style. He, he's sort of, uh, much longer and less explosive sort of on the ball, but he's much longer and better reach and better volleyer. So the movement is different. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, he's a little bit more relaxed on the ball than me, but, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some strokes and some shots that he implements that maybe, uh, you know, I've
0: been working with him since he was about 13 or 14 years old. So. Oh really? I, um, I didn't realize it was yeah. that long.
1: Yeah, yeah. Since he was a little kid, he's sort of, uh, yeah, he'd been. Uh, we've been, we're, we've become very close since uh, yeah, he was a little kid, and I helped him all the way through. So that was. It's always been uh, sort of a passion project for me. It's not a business or anything. It's certainly, yeah. Uh, just uh, me trying to trying to help him get to where he wants to get to and uh, uh and he's getting there and for sure there's a couple of things that he picked up over those nine years <laughs> of us spending so much time together yeah so there's absolutely some, nice. some similar similarities there but other than that he's got his real own body makeup and his own style and i mean i, I was certainly uh, trade in some speed for some length that he has and uh and just being so calm and relaxed he's really got uh, such a great demeanor on the court and, and able to uh you know fight just as hard on the inside but stay really calm on the outside which i really like
0: yeah absolutely yeah that that, that really sums it up nicely and you speaking of diego jonathan congrats on uh, on the pan am gold there that that's a that's a huge uh, huge win for him and will give him uh, some momentum uh, heading into what you guys will be doing before the beginning of the season, won't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We couldn't be happier. It's was, like pro- it was definitely the biggest victory of his life. And just in the environment, uh, being at home in Lima, and the crowd and everybody, uh, was his family, and yeah, no, I was really happy for, for the kid. He's, he deserves it. He's, he's, uh, he's playing that well.
0: Yeah, for sure. He played real. I mean, uh, every time I watch him play, I, he sort of, it's him and uh, Kareem Abdul-Gawad. When I watch those guys play, it's like, I want to get out and, uh, and uh, try to be as smooth and silky and hit the shots like they do. Uh, sort of like when you played.
1: <laughs> yeah, seems like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> since I could do things like that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it wasn't that long ago, buddy, but uh, we know how tight it is at, at the top of the game now uh, for Diego, and uh, he has wins over everybody in the top five, maybe with the exception of uh, Abdul Gawad. But, uh, so is it just a matter of uh, making a few tweaks here and there and perhaps uh, maybe paying a bit more attention to strength and conditioning to get the those big wins at the big moments more uh, consistently for him?
1: Yeah, no, I think he's prepared. Like he's shown to get the big wins, and he's uh, he's had them. And uh, but doing it uh, round after round is a, is a different proposition. You got to have uh, you know man strength to get up the next day and then do it again and then again. And uh, at this level right now, you've got to be able to put in three real top level matches at the highest level in the world to be able to come away with a major victory. So uh, that's the next uh, stage for him and. Uh, We'll, we'll see where that goes but i'm 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 confident that he'll get there he's young and he's focused and uh and that's going to it's going to come about uh, in short order is my feeling
0: yeah yeah for sure well he's not i mean he's there already so it's just a matter of one or two uh, maybe it's just a matter of getting a couple of big wins in a row and then the the momentum will carry him through i mean nobody knows better than you do i mean you had uh we'll talk about it a bit later but uh I'm sure you you can attest to the fact that a couple of wins over some big names in a row will will sort of give you that wave that you can ride on, won't it?
1: Yeah, no, it's um, it's the confidence, and and then when you have those three or four matches in a row, you just you build this unique kind of fitness and strength just from match play. Like you, no matter how much training you do, it's impossible to replicate the. The intensity and the sort of uh the difficulty of of a match uh day in day out so after you do four in a row and if you're not completely injured by the end you're you're incredibly fit and that that'll usually uh stay with you for for a number of number of months afterwards so uh it's got to get to that stage and it's uh it's telling.
0: yeah now uh now, I'd like to, if you don't, that's great for Diego, but I'd like to uh, get back to you, Jonathan. Now, uh, As you know, uh, your early years uh, started back in the Atlantic provinces in Canada and Prince Edward Island, which is where uh, I first met you. I'd like to look back at that time, if you don't mind. You got your your, your start there in PEI with your dad, who was extremely instrumental in guiding your, your career, and there were others there like... Uh, Doug, uh, Doug Baldwin, who ran, I think, ran the junior program and, and really had an influence on the squash scene. His son, Eric, who you played against. And and it was a reasonably vibrant uh, junior scene back then. I, I played in it and there were quite a few uh, decent players and some good competitions uh, back in that day. So what, what do you remember about those early days where, when your squash uh, uh, first started?
1: Oh, yeah, it's such an exciting time, you know, with squash, you're always uh, traveling and you're always, uh, you know, going at that stage, uh, one province to the next and uh, getting exposed to different environments and different players and different kids. And uh, it's just an exciting time, right? And then uh, you're competing in an individual sport. So it's uh, it's also very uh very difficult i think mentally but if you have the constitution for it you you thrive on it and you uh, you love it and that's what i remember most about it is just loving the the competition and trying to trying to beat everybody else and uh being out the, out there on your own and uh yeah doing it in, in pei at the, at the beginning was uh was really fun and that's from such a young age and then earning the right to travel across the country uh by being the the provincial champion on a, on an airplane by myself at at uh, eight years old was pretty uh, pretty unique and uh, sort did, of they, did they did they have that uh, I know
0: I know my kids uh they traveled alone there a few years ago but they had the buddy whatever they call it the buddy system uh, so you pay pay for this sit online someone will sort of guide you around but they 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 may not have uh, thought of that back then.
1: Yeah, they put some – I remember they put some uh, badge around your neck and sit you up front, and, uh, yeah, I think they uh, they take pretty good care of you. I was I was eight years old flying across the country, <laughs> and, and I probably looked about six, so yeah. they were probably uh, one, wondering what the hell was going on here. And uh, I remember in Montreal where we had the changeover, uh, I, I think uh, uh, one of the stewardesses was uh, taking me from gate to gate, so I, I think I was in – good hands i made i made it through so
0: <laughs> i'm <laughs> exactly. still here it's still there yeah exactly you said uh you, i mean obviously doug and Derek baldwin uh, you you remember those guys well eric's a, he's the pro at one of the clubs in toronto now isn't he uh, eric a guy you would have played against back in those days
1: yeah, yeah, we're at the same club here in Toronto. He's the sports director of the Baventon Racquet Club, and and his daughter is actually my daughter's best friend. So it's kind of a uh, weird full circle, uh, 40 years later or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty funny.
0: Yeah, that that club uh, didn't it just it just went through a bit of a they had a, some sort of fire or something recently, didn't it? Is it reopened now or?
1: Yeah, it's reopened and uh, everything's going, going well and washes is back and, and thriving there. So, yeah, it's good. I, I spent quite a bit of time there.
0: Great. Great. Now, I know you traveled a, a lot back then in order to uh, achieve your dream of becoming a world champion. Probably uh, mm-hmm. not the most uh, conventional path for, for juniors, but one that proved invaluable uh, to you uh, in, your, in your goal to, to get to that number one position. So talk about that that path that you took uh, and what you gained, the path that you took traveling around as a young junior with different coaches and to playing at different venues uh, and what you gained uh, most from it.
1: Yeah, I think everything uh, at that stage is a stepping stone bit bit by bit. So, uh, you know, first you got to win your your local tournaments, then the national tournaments, and then at a young age I was – traveling internationally representing Canada. So getting to, you know, fly over to England and live in England and train in England from the age of 12 made a big difference getting to see what the level is out there in the rest of the world, because, uh, there's a big difference and there's a lot of sort of, uh, countries with a lot of programs doing a lot of good things and just being exposed to that. Then you can, you know, see where you have to go and uh, what steps you have to take and, uh, that was probably the the most important just being able to understand the math and then being able to map it out once i know where i have to go in anything i can sort of uh you know work the math backwards from there right yeah, so yeah. uh if that was that was the thing is the exposure
0: yeah now my i know i went- was
1: very sort of focused on that my father just understood that uh he was always exposing me to the the top level and the next level and uh you know spending all of his time and his money trying to get me to understand uh what was out there and uh what I needed to do so it was
0: uh yeah a, um a really smart smart play on his part absolutely yeah now i uh i did have i spoke with uh, Ramit Khan on my podcast uh maybe about 10 episodes back or so and he did bring your name up and he mentioned that that uh, you had spent time in london with uh with his team uh, over there including uh, obviously uh jahangir khan uh that must have been an incredible spe- experience for you uh what do you remember about that time
1: yeah that was really incredible i'll imagine living in uh england and in- the, the best coach in the world's house with the best player in the world, the greatest of all time and uh, at the age of 12 and just shadowing them and, and doing all the work that they were doing and uh, just uh, really soaking up the environment. And uh, he just understood so much about uh, the game and uh, and sort of instilled that work ethic and uh, that ha- the racket head speed and, and just being able to generate the strength with the racket, and really sort of formed probably a lot of my deception later on in, uh, in my career because he just developed so much forearm strength and so much uh, ball striking ability from a young age by just repeating, repeating, like quick hitting, quick hitting, quick hitting. And, uh, and really, uh, that was such a, a great gift that he gave me. And, uh, and then
0: I ma- managed to turn that into what it became. Yeah, you sort of brought your your part of the part of your game that, that you developed and, and uh, incorporated that into, uh, I guess that's called the Pakistani uh, style, isn't it? That that, that, that racket head speed, sla- the slapping. Yeah, back, yeah.
1: yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely. The, the fast racket and fast speed and just being able to do everything at a, at a quicker pace and um, yeah, that, that was part of it. And then I would use that to create, uh, use that speed and that racket hit speed to create uh, all of my deception and all of the options, right? So uh, that was largely in thanks to uh, just developing that strength and racket hit speed.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, just not. I'm digressing here a bit, but I I remember. I think I mentioned uh, to you that I bought the the video of you winning the I think it was the TOC. I'm going to come to that in a second, but uh, that really it helped change my game as well. I mean, watching what you did with the ball, uh, I mean, I was fairly uh, (laughs) I think for a lot of people, you know, fairly sort of conventional with the way we played up and down the walls, just you know, hit a few boasts or drop shots or Philly boasts here and there. But then, uh, you know. Watching what you were trying to do, uh, really, and and you see it with a lot of players these days. Uh, it really opened up uh, another world uh, there. So uh, I guess we have uh, you know you and uh, you know your your time spent with uh, with uh, ramet to to thank for that. Yeah, I mean, it, I would
1: I would say a lot of that was developed from uh, trying to do things inside out. Like my dad would always try to coach me to do it, uh, you know the way he saw it and uh, like any child you want to sort of uh, say to your parent, no, I can do it, uh, no, I can do it this way and prove prove them wrong. And mm-hmm. so I kind of turned it Instead of three balls deep, one ball short. It was three balls short, one ball deep. I was always trying to use my athleticism to and speed to sort of open up the court. And uh, I think that was the beginning of just taking any ball that was off the wall and, and putting it into the front of the court instead of the back. And that really hadn't been done up until that point. And, uh, that was sort of, uh, I guess my, my mark on it. And then it came, became a big part of the game. It became uh Rammy's game. It became all the guys at the top right now. They're, they're taking the ball as soon as it comes off the wall, right into the front. And, and that was, yeah. that was a game that existed before me, but it was not a winning game. So nobody had done it in one tournament. So, wasn't like I was the first person to do that, but the guy, it was, nobody had really developed a, a winning game around that and well you uh, you, you so proved that there's no.
0: a in my in my estimation you proved that there is a method to the madness
1: <laughs> yeah yeah by by default, just one of my sheer competitiveness <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But another another guy. Uh, I mean, he obviously he put his own spin on it in his own game. Uh, he has his own way of playing the game that's different from you. But uh, I see a lot of, a lot of your shot making in uh, in James Wilstrup in in a little bit of, in, in a way as well.
1: Yeah, there's certain uh, certain strokes that definitely uh, maybe resembled each other. But uh, he was he was a, a great ball striker. He's oh, a little yeah. bit uh, built different. Built differently, and yeah, had uh, you know amazing uh, length and uh, command of the ball, and uh, his straight hitting was probably better than anybody. And uh, he yeah, his yeah, straight he, hitting he is he incredible. Had his, yeah. his own style. There might have been a couple, uh, you know, things that he he he'd take like we like we all take from each other, but uh, he definitely developed his own way of thinking. He's a very cerebral player, and and uh, if you want to learn how to choose the right shot at the right pace, the right height on the front wall and change the speeds and volley and uh, do all of the things. Uh, He's a great person to sort of emulate. uh, If you want to develop a, you know, a a great foundation to your game. So he had his own, uh, his own spin on things.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more there. Uh, now, i got to pick and choose my spots, JP, because, I, mean, uh, I mean, I could go with just about anywhere with you here. But let's fast forward a bit to 1995-96. And I'd say uh, that was your breakthrough uh, period in your career. Uh, 1996, uh, I alluded to it earlier uh, about the video. Uh, you won the uh, Tournament of Champions, uh, beating Craig Rowland in the final. Uh, and that was your first of several uh, TOC. It may have been your first big win. So from from there, you were, in my estimation anyways, you may disagree, but you were a force at the top of the game, and your chase for, for number one began. So uh, how special was it for you to win that uh, first TOC? I think it was in 96. And uh, the TOC over the years in general was special to you uh, as well. Yeah, for sure it was my
1: favorite favorite tournament uh, over the years you know New York City which is very close to my personality (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. but New York York was always good to me and uh, yeah that was great because I came out of the qualifying and I don't think anybody had ever done that nobody saw it coming and uh, and uh, it's very rare in squash where somebody comes from nowhere to win a tournament it's never happened so uh since or before um winning a major from the qualifying so that was that was special for sure and then i did it uh after forgetting my shoes and borrowing one of the other players shoes so that was kind of (laughs) even funnier (laughs) whose shoes did
0: you borrow was that simon
1: park yeah yeah yeah, that's right so uh (laughs) yeah that was kind of funny but it's just sort of my lack of did, organization
0: did they fit? and uh, did focus they fit? on those
1: details <laughs> no the, they're about a half size too small but that's fine for squash it's okay. yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's great now yeah. uh now 1996 uh, to 1998 uh i just i thought uh you were playing incredible squash during that that time during a stacked era as well it included uh obviously yourself rodney isles peter Nichols, Jan Shirkan, just to name a few and you had some epic encounters with all those guys, but especially uh, intriguing to me anyways were your battles with uh Jan Shir Khan. Uh you lost a few of them, but you actually but you did beat him in Hong Kong in a in a great win for you. Uh so to say uh uh you accomplished something special by beating him, uh, uh although it must have been frustrating at times for you to play him. Tell us about um those matches, if you don't mind uh when you played jancher because they to me they, they were some of the some of your best best matches to watch
1: yeah it was pretty uh interesting time obviously he was the guy who, who would go through a year or two years without even losing a match and uh, he he was a, a special player and a really clever player so uh he had a way of uh knowing every little part of the game, every detail, how to manipulate every situation into a winning situation. And, uh, <laughs> I definitely learned a lot of things from him. And, uh, in terms of learning how to get off the court with a win, even when you're not playing well, uh, yeah. he was just had an ability to just, uh, you know, win and, uh, yeah, we had some battles and, uh, he did it to me a few times where I, I had him on the ropes and he should have never won. And he, he found a way to win. And I I took a lot from uh, playing with him and, and learning from him and I got, I managed to beat him a couple of times before he left, uh, which was, you know, satisfying for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite, Quite a rivalry at, at some point for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, for sure it was. And uh, one thing that I mean, not only in your matches but in other matches where I've seen him play, and, and these days with the you know with the way YouTube is and the way we're able to edit videos, you can see how he was able. You mentioned the word manipulate. He was how to, he was able to manipulate uh, officials. I mean, there there were so many calls where it, it really looked like he wasn't even making an effort to get to the ball, but he just kind of looked back and. It, and he'd get let, right? Uh, Was that something that you experienced? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. He was unbelievable at it, and he also earned that respect from the referees by winning so much. you got to remember that uh, he he was the king, and those things don't come without uh, having a certain reputation of uh, greatness. So he, all of it goes together, and uh, yeah, he manipulated referees, he manipulated players in situations, and... It was, uh, yeah, he's very, very clever in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, some some players don't like that, but I ha- certainly have a lot of respect for anybody that can figure out how to, how to take everything that's in front of you and uh, and create a win from it, uh, uh, you know. Absolutely. Without, uh, yeah, just uh, he was he was very, very special sort of uh, type of player.
0: Yeah, I guess the analogy you could make is sort of, you know, if you're in boxing, maybe you gotta don't let the don't let it go to the judges.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> and if and if you do, he's, he was good at selling to the judges if it ever went that way. So he was uh, he was good at uh, knowing exactly what was happening while while it was happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, I know uh, in 1998 obviously was a huge uh, moment for you in your career. You won the World Open, uh, something which I think you and your dad had uh, had drawn a plan out for when you were quite young. So, uh, what was that win? What did that win uh, obviously it meant a lot to you? But uh, could you express that to us uh, what that meant, win meant for you? World Open champion.
1: Oh, for sure. It was the, it was the, it was really the end, the beginning of, or the end of my career, really. It was in my mind. It's the only place I wanted to get to. And uh, once I got there, then it was just a giant relief. It was something that I always expected and it was always in my mind. So I always knew it it had to happen and I, and I made it happen. And once it manifested, then after that, it was something nobody can take from you. So it was, it was really over. I'd made it to number one in the world and, uh, I was the world champion. And after that, I was just, uh, you know, I was just doing it as a, as a job after that Hmm. leading up to that, it was my whole life and my whole, my whole passion and my whole focus and everything I wanted. And once I attained it, um, the switch changed, you know, it becomes the, yeah it, yeah it becomes a job after that and you're just maintaining and you know trying to win match by match but uh there's really there's no there's no place beyond where uh where i was at that stage so there's yeah it's just more more of the same or less of the same
0: but um i i mean correct me if i'm wrong but don't i mean don't sell yourself short you did you had some other incredible feats i mean you just in terms of your, your the way you retired, I mean, you, you came out, you, you came back and uh, got to that number one ranking again uh, and then retired. So I'm just thinking may, maybe that had yeah. some special meaning uh, for you as well, Sim- similar to the World Open. You you must have had that in the back of your mind that uh, I'm not gonna go out at number seven in the world, I'm gonna go out at uh, number one in the world.
1: Yeah, 100%, like I didn't, uh, I always, despite whether i was one or one i always viewed myself as the best player in the world and uh so i needed to leave in that vein and i uh put in a good year and just uh i'd grown uh probably tired of uh touring and and playing all of it even though i was probably playing my best squash and got back to number one just to put the number beside what i thought was the truth in my head and then once that was quantifiable the fact that I was the best in the world and I was ready to um put an end to it <laughs> um so that was it I woke up one morning I was like flying to New York and I'd just done 13 exhibitions with Shabana in like 13 days oh okay. and oh, oh in January and we just and he was staying at my house and we were flying to New York together from Montreal and I looked at him in the morning and he was number two in the world and I was number one. And, and we were flying from my house to New York. And I'm like, but he, I'm uh congrats. You're the new number one. I'm out of here. I'm just going to tell everybody this week that this is, this is it. And he goes, really JP, are you serious? Are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm done. And he's like, oh man, great. And then, and then he was number one for the next four years. So yeah. Well, what, it a, was, uh, what a great it was player a pretty,
0: to pass uh, the, uh, the baton on to. I mean, the guy's pure class yeah. on the court.
1: Yeah, I know. I had hit, I had Greg at three and him at two behind me when I retired. And uh, those are the two guys that would stay at my house and my training partners and my friends. And so when I left, uh, you know, they moved into a one and two slot. And uh, and Greg was so funny when I told, uh, told them that uh, I was retiring in New York and, went for breakfast and he looks at me and he's he, he's like emotional guy and he's sort of yeah starting to tear up and I'm like oh this is this is special man he really feels for me looks at me he's like fuck man fuck fuck i don't believe it <laughs> I never fucking beat you. Never. <laughs> the only thing he could care about is that he didn't beat me, not that I was retiring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it,
0: was yeah. about, it was about him. So well, he's was, he's uh, another was guy that you sort moment. of uh, he's another, I mean, obviously, you're, a hilarious coaching, moment. Uh, obviously you're coaching Diego, but uh, he's another guy that you sort of took under your wing from a young age, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, very much. I brought him into my house when he was like 18 and we trained together and helped him along and then when I retired I I imposed that same thing on him I said well when Diego's 18 now you take care of him on tour and Greg did a phenomenal job of helping Diego looking out for him on tour and doing all those things for me like I passed on to him he passed on to another player who was on the tour with him and 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 took that on and did wonders for Diego in his game and uh he's a real class guy and and uh when you when you you know pass something forward it's nice to see that uh it's stuck and he, and he kept the tradition in order and i'm sure diego will do it to uh, a kid who deserves it uh when it's his time to pass it on so
0: absolutely paying uh, it forward yeah, it
1: was, it was definitely, yeah. that's what they say yeah but yeah. uh yeah it's nice nice to do that with good people
0: yeah for sure i mean greg's such a so great for the game at shabana obviously and uh i got to see uh Greg, there a few years back, two years ago, there in uh, in Dubai, and what a I mean, what a, a great player to watch, an, an electrifying uh, spirit on the court, much like yourself. So, uh, now JP, mm-hmm. I know uh, uh, it was during that period in nineteen ninety eight, or even before that. Uh, that's when your rivalry with with uh, Peter uh, began to evolve into something uh, very special. Peter Nichol. And uh, they were great years for squash, great years for me personally, uh, many classic battles. And in the early years, uh, definitely uh, what I, I felt that there was a real, real edge uh, to to the rivalry. So um, how would you describe the, those early years of the rivalry and uh, how you feel about everything, the way it played out in general?
1: Yeah, for, for sure. The early years we couldn't be uh – more different uh, uh, as two individuals and even our styles of game were completely contrasting and uh, his was really the old style however he did it at such a great pace and uh, and volleyed the ball so well and took the ball so early but uh, it was two different styles of games two different personalities and it was a real rivalry there was certainly no love lost at the Initial part of our rivalry. We were ferocious competitors and we were not, uh, you know, spending time uh, Hanging out together. Uh, It was it was definitely uh, um, a Tense rivalry and we made it great and we both got better reinvented ourselves numerous times throughout our careers just to compete with the other one and it was really him and I for a good eight years and and It was uh, special and uh, it's so funny now that uh going through that he's the only other person in the world that could ever understand that at that level and because he was he was living it from the other side and when we get together and and talk about it now it's just uh, so great and we've become uh good friends and he's yeah he's it's just a real special relationship in my life because there's nobody that i can really share that with and now being able to just uh hang out and laugh about it and uh, talk about those times it's a unique uh unique thing for me in this world so
0: yeah you guys it, had it
1: was great and i'm glad and i'm glad it was uh it was that type of uh relationship
0: yeah definitely. i'm glad it was
1: combative i'm glad i'm glad it was uh, a rivalry I, I don't uh totally love all this these days where everybody's protecting a brand and there's this a love fest for everybody and everybody's selling a product and nobody's just fighting you know what i mean so uh yeah. the sport was, is rooted in those in those fights and those rivalries and uh it's under the surface but there's a lot of sort of i don't know how disingenuous it is but i i find it is uh like always complimenting how great the other guy is while you're in the middle of battle. You can do that when your career is over, but <laughs> <laughs> no. you think when you're playing, you think everybody else is an idiot and you're the only one. So uh, it's hard. And you see all these guys always in every sport saying, Oh, he's so great. He's so great. But it was not like that when, uh, back in the, in the nineties and eighties and seventies and sixties and sports, when sport was sport and sport wasn't a business, it was like it was a lot more cutthroat and a lot dirtier and a lot, you know, like uh, sort of out there to win. And uh, the business was not part of the sport, which was which was nice. It was about uh, just being the best at what you love to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think you hit it. Uh, you made a really good point by saying with about the rivalry part, where how how deep and how intense, uh, and maybe the dislike that was there in the early years, really kind of. I mean, you really wanted to re, like you said, reinvent yourself in order to to get better, to to beat that guy, or to beat the guys that that you had uh, intense rivalry with. Uh, Maybe sort of without that, uh, the game. Although these guys are fantastic talents, don't get me wrong, but uh, the game doesn't have that uh, element of it
1: no not not from what i can see so uh ho- hopefully uh something will develop and just keep uh, everybody's a- attention but uh i'd like to i'd like to see something uh you know something a little bit more needy uh, at the top that uh you know you can sink your teeth into and really cheer for one guy or the other be in one or well that or the other
0: exactly i mean Too that- much
1: gray going on
0: I was, I mean, as you know, I've been overseas since 95. I haven't been living in Canada and I've been in places where there've been, you know, a lot of uh, British uh, representation and then North American representation at the clubs where I've played. And uh, there were always, back in your day, there were two camps. (laughs) There was the power camp and Mm -hmm. there there was the the nickel camp and uh, everyone had their opinions and everyone thought, oh yeah, this and that about the other guy. And, uh, that's, that's just missing right now. And and that was a lot of fun, good banter, sit at the bar and just, uh, argue about it all night, which was fun
1: for sure. (laughs) And when I was growing up, there was always, there was always the Australian camp, the English camp, the Pakistani camp. When I grew up, there were very defined lines on, uh, you know, you know, the rivalries and, uh, who was in each person's corner. So it, it was kind of a different time, but.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I guess we got to well, take we'll the good with happens. the bad. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, now, JP, just to talk. I mean, obviously, yeah. you're you're notorious and infamous for your your banter with the officials. The people who loved you loved it, and uh, you've had some infamous infamous run-ins with uh, officials over the years. My favorite, personal favorite, was 1998 against Simon. Your the guy who lent, lent you his shoes in T.O.C. Simon Park. It was at the Hong Kong Open. And uh, you can see the match on YouTube. It's at about uh, 15 or 16 minutes into the match. And there were two calls that went against you. They were terrible, terrible calls. And you just let the referee have it, right? It was, I've never seen anything quite like it, but it was, it was real, you know, it was real. And everyone there in the crowd was loving it, right? And it was real. And uh, for sure, do you miss that being out there in those times and in the heat of the battle? Do you miss that at all?
1: So Miss getting bad calls and yelling at grown men? Yeah. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it looked like certainly, you enjoyed it. Certainly not. No, no. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy that. I, I never was, uh, although I argued a lot with the referee, as I was never insulting on in a personal level. I might be no. upset and try to educate them what they were watching, but I would never, it was never personal and it was never anything. Mm malicious or or against their character it was just uh my my heart was always on my sleeve and i, I would just talk, tell it like it is, and and i would frame the argument for the next call so all of all of that stuff was part of it wasn't contrived it wasn't a tactic against my opponent it was just pure emotion and i was and it was it fueled me and it hurt me too at the same time so it was it had it had a, it was its own animal and it wasn't. Uh, it was just me. There's nothing I can uh, do to change it.
0: Yeah. No. No. Uh, a lot of people like to compare you to to McEnroe, but I mean, obviously there are comparisons. But you know, I love. We all love McEnroe. But uh, he uh, sometimes he he get very personal with his attacks on the referee. Yeah. He he was a <laughs> lot
1: more insult insulting. Yeah. Yeah. I was with I was with him. <laughs> he was so funny. I <laughs> anyway. Whatever. You've I met, have you I won't met digress him? Too much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, 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 I was, yeah. I, was, I was.
1: We had a we had a birthday party for a friend. Uh, um, I think in November last year, his 60th birthday party, and he's a tennis player, and his favorite uh, player was always McEnroe. So uh, for his birthday, he was in the semifinals of the tournament, and, it, and so we moved the match to this venue, and uh, the birthday, his birthday, uh, who he thought was playing at his local club semifinals. The guy who showed up ended up being McEnroe to play him in the semis. And uh, <laughs> oh, it was great. so fun. It was such a great birthday party. And then after McEnroe throws a tantrum and my friend wins by default. Oh, great. Um, so he's now, in the finals of the, he's now in the finals of the tournament. And at, at, for the finals of the tournament, down comes walking down the, the the red carpet was andy murray to play kevin in the final and, oh wow uh, it was oh. pretty it was a pretty crazy birthday party let's just say <laughs> no doubt yeah he yeah. <laughs> played mackerel to play andy murray back to back for his 60th birthday so it's pretty uh pretty special
0: wow that that's that's amazing yeah that is amazing now just uh, uh not in, in terms of officiating jp though uh these days we have the, uh, the video referee uh, system where you, you, you can appeal a call or, and it goes to, goes to the, uh, the video uh, official. Uh, now I, I've not this year, especially, uh, and you see it a lot on the squash uh, uh, community on the forums on social media that uh, it's not real. They're not getting it right uh, in most cases or in a lot of cases, I shouldn't say most in a lot of cases. So uh, what's your take on, on the three referee system and, i guess uh maybe even more interesting how as a player how do you think you would have uh, responded to situations on the court in this under these circumstances
1: yeah i don't think it's it's a huge bonus for having uh you know it's not like the other sports it doesn't you got one challenge per game and uh it's just another referee behind a curtain making a subjective call and watching it in slow motion. That doesn't necessarily give you the right perspective. And uh, they make some calls that are better and they miss some. And the good thing is they overturn the absolute shocking ones, but um, Mm. there's only one of them each game. I think I probably would have just used it as a technique to get some extra rest. Like it's, it's so, it has so little (laughs) impact. (laughs) in the overall game that it just give me an extra 30 seconds or a minute to uh, get my breath back before going into the next point. But, you know, um, it's great for down balls and out balls because you can see it with your own two eyes. But uh, for making a subjective call, I don't think uh, it really adds to the game. But uh, anyway, they're trying to use technology the best way they can. And uh, they're – they're still under budget and a long way from it. And one day that we'll get there and uh, you know, things will, things will get better, but um, yeah, you know, there's, there's lots of positive things.
0: Uh, I just want to say uh, thanks so much for this. Um, I want to wish you all the best. You, you provided me and countless other squash players, some awesome, awesome years of squash over the years. And uh, thanks so much for this. It's uh, my 100th, uh, uh, episode of the podcast and you were the guy that i wanted to have on and uh you came through for me and i really appreciate it
1: no problem i'm happy to do it and uh congratulations on those 100 episodes anyway that's a that's a good feat in itself so keep going
0: thanks what buddy you, and thanks thanks buddy take care okay you too well everyone i'm just going to drop the mic on that one thanks again so much to jonathan it was a absolute honor to be talking to him after all these years and on my 100th episode, thank you all for listening over these uh, over the past 100 episodes. I'm going to try to get to 200. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but I've been enjoying the, the whole thing uh, up until now, so I don't see why not. We're going to keep it going here. Thanks again all for listening and uh, take good care now.